Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. We have another interview with an amazing educator for you today. But before we get there, I have a couple things that I want to tell you guys about. You have heard us talk before on the podcast about three, that's right, three full weeks of bell ringers that we have for you for free to show you our gratitude. And these bell ringers are all about encouraging, fostering, and just creating a space of gratitude in your classroom. So it's 15 bell ringers. Use them how and as you like. Uh, head to bravenewteaching.com or in the show notes to get your hands on those. And then we have another something that's kind of fun. We want to see where you all end up on this. We've created a little quiz, you know, like the teen beat or the uh, tiger beat quizzes that we used to take. Oh or let's be gosh. honest, let's be honest with ourselves or the like home and garden television. <laughs> it's fine. Buzz, I take BuzzFeed quizzes all the time. Yeah. Or BuzzFeed. If I wanted to actually be part of the 21st century, we've yeah, created welcome. a quiz for you guys all about what type of lesson planner are you? Amanda and I already know what type of lesson planners we are, and we will totally start divulging that information on social media very soon. But head to bravenewteaching.com to take the lesson planner quiz and find out what type of a lesson planner you are. It's silly, it's fun, but it actually does lead us into what we are talking about today. We know that one of the most popular and engaging topics we've talked about on this podcast has been essential questions writing them, talking about them, using them in the classroom. And that is exactly what we are talking about today. I'm going to let Amanda take it away. She's going to introduce to you our interview and exactly what they talked about. Well, hello, Marie. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I feel so honored to be your partner in crime. You should. I mean, you're welcome. Oh my goodness. You guys, <laughs> today I have the honor of introducing you to Mr. Kyle Etheridge. And Kyle is not a teacher grammar. Kyle is not someone that you would know. No, none of you, unless you work at Kyle's school, know who Kyle is because Kyle is my former work husband. Um, Kyle and I worked together at my first school where I taught and uh, we talk a little bit about our story in the interview, but essentially um, 
after he got hired, I was placed as his mentor and I mentored Kyle through lots and lots of things. But really what was cool about our relationship is he entered the picture in my teaching career right when we were making the transition from the kind of department that was doing study guide questions and, you know, pretty old school English language arts kinds of stuff to, at the point where we were transitioning over to an inquiry-based model. And one of the reasons that Kyle was hired is that he studied under um, Dr. McCann at Northern Illinois University, who was one of the, you know, kind of groundbreaking researchers in this field and writing books about this all the time. And Kyle came to us with a lot of that knowledge. Now, as you'll hear, he was also a kid. So I give him a really hard time because knowing what essential questions are and knowing how inquiry works in your head is very different from actually doing it and managing a classroom for the first time. So it's a really good raw look at, you know, both like our seasoned experience in this area, as well as some of the, the downfalls and the hilarious missteps that were made along the way. Because even though I was his mentor, I was new at this concept and he was new at teaching. So we really taught each other a lot. We've become very, very good friends. We're still family friends. I mean, he came to my husband's bachelor party. I mean, he came to our wedding. I mean, we're very, very dear friends. So I am so thrilled to have Kyle here to talk to you all today. Um, I'm going to try to get him to get on Instagram so you can get in touch with him, but otherwise we can just fill up his inbox and I'll give you his email, maybe even his carrier pigeon number, and we can, uh, we can stay in touch with him there. But you guys are going to love this interview. It's a lot of fun. All right. Cue the music. listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We are so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, we're ready to just jump right in. I am so excited for you to meet my favorite work husband of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Etheridge, will you introduce yourself to the ladies and gentlemen listeners of the podcast? I will. I will. I'm just going to wait for the incredible crowd noise to die down. <laughs> and perfect. Hi, my hey. name is Kyle Etheridge. I have had the pleasure of working with Mrs. Cardenas and she was my mentor. And uh, I've just been living the past three years trying not to screw it up. <laughs> okay, so tell us more about your journey, though. Where, uh, you know, I, I don't want to tell the whole story of how we met. Um, people might judge <laughs> I know you me don't. a little bit, but um, tell us more about your, you know, even from undergrad a little bit, your your experience in teaching, your journey, your philosophy. You know, what brings you here? We've got we've got young people that listen to this this podcast that are just getting started, and oldies like us. So you're like right in the middle. What's your journey yeah. then? Okay, so luckily I'm prepped for this because I just had to record like get to know you videos in this new landscape. So here's the the quick version. Uh, I grew up in a small town, middle of nowhere, and my parents were both very much working class. So it was kind of a weird environment because neither my mom nor dad had graduated college, but were so enthusiastic about me going. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I literally, I wish I had this romanticized story about how I knew English teaching was what I was going to do, but I didn't. I was sitting in a senior English class one day and I had a monster teacher. She was incredible. Mrs. Bechtold, shout out to Mrs. Bechtold. And she encapsulated us with Hamlet, you know, and this is a, a group of students that if you said Shakespeare, we would roll our eyes and we had, we didn't care at all, but we were, we were just totally captivated by what she, whatever she was teaching. And I thought, man, what a life hack. If you can figure out, how to make this what you get paid to do, because this is like, this is just so cool. And so that moment kind of, that was the motivation of, I think I'm going to go with this. I think I'm going to try teaching. Now I did try graphic design for a bit. We won't go into that because I want to focus on things that make me look good. So <laughs> that, that didn't work out. Uh, I pivoted to teaching and I, I went to community college to save a buck. And I actually did not, I didn't hate the experience. I know a lot of people 
have mixed reviews, but it was a good time. Um, and then I started my, I guess I finished my undergrad at NIU and I had a number of good teachers that I won't name because you may roll your eyes at them, but they, they were, they were great. They definitely made me think about this, but I, even in college, I was like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. If I'm honest, I was like, (laughs) I don't get this. And I made a deal with myself. I said, the first person that says, listen, buddy, this is not for you. The first time someone does that, does that, I'm out. Like I'll quit. Yeah. And I just started working and working and working and all of this made sense. And um, I had a really good experience. I had fun. I had teachers that believed in me, invested in me, told me I could do it. I had a good student teaching experience. I even like won the award at NIU and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm the greatest. I'm the best. I'm Muhammad Ali. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I got hit hard with reality after college because I walked out of there thinking I was a first round draft pick. And I realized like the teaching world is so divided. And what I realized was the answers I was giving to questions was so cultivated in the building I student taught at. It wasn't me. To be fair, I didn't know who I was as a teacher. And you know, I had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of rejections, and it just didn't work out. And the summer after I graduated, I didn't think I was going to be a teacher. It just didn't, I was, it looked like I was going to be a banker. And we had a very weird circumstance happen three weeks into the school year, you know, when all applicants have given up by now, I get a call, I, I fake sick a few times, I make it happen, and I get my first job in West Chicago starting what halfway through September or something like that. It was something like that. Yeah. It was like about three weeks and we had a foreign language or an ESL teacher quit at the very beginning right. of the school year. And then with some shuffling around, cause our departments were connected at the time we oh, had man. an opening. And uh, I mean, you, you were, I mean, I never considered rejecting you during your interview. Did I? I think that's all you did actually, if we're going to get honest with the listeners, the story goes, I go to the last round of interviews and I don't know how other schools do it, but West Chicago has the most intimidating setup. I walk into this room. There's, I'm not kidding, 12 people in three sides of a square just surrounding me. And I remember the most intense thing was they provided a bottle of water. Yes. Like how you messed up is that? This. That they're like, yeah, you're going to need this. So, and like, here are the questions printed out because you'll forget. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, stop being so considerate. Um, and I like, I don't know, I bombed. I still think about those questions I bombed. You know, it's just like crazy prepping for an interview like that. But I remember walking out of there and, be, and my dad calling me like, how'd it go? And I was like, oh, I think I really connected with this one person, which turned out to be you. What was the what was the other side of that story, Amanda? Well, I mean, meanwhile, so I'm sitting on the other end of the table with my third or fourth bottle of water because we had interviewed like a bajillion people that day. And um, I don't know, I thought your interview was okay. You seemed a little cocky. You seemed a little too sure of yourself. And uh, I didn't know if I wanted to deal with that kind of drama on my team because this spot was for someone on my sophomore team. And uh you know, I basically thought I was the queen of England. So I mean, it was a big deal. So that's okay. I thought I was a first round draft pick. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, Kyle, Kyle knew what he was talking about. You you know, this is the thing. It's like, it's so funny looking back and um, what makes you connect with one person over another. And I, and I remember those early stages of my career feeling that territorial, um, you know, emotion right over your curriculum and so I'm really glad really glad my boss talked well that didn't really care what I thought I was just kind of there to be there um so (laughs) I'm really glad I wasn't in charge because we gave Kyle the job and so here we are and then my boss said by the way you're going to be his mentor and I thought oh geez like this (laughs) kid's going to quit in the third week yeah he's three weeks in and three more weeks he's going to be out of here but sure Uh, enough almost did quit (laughs) so it was tough that was the thing is you asked about philosophy and when I mentioned the answers I gave in the interview of that summer, the reason I can say that was the cultivation of where I was is I felt like a huge transformation happened in my first year. And I'm sure everybody's first year is transformative, but I always tell people my cheesy little line 
is I went into a Chicago, an English teacher that just wanted to talk about these stories, and these metaphors, because this is what I'm here for. And I left for that first summer, an English teacher yeah. convinced that like, this is my excuse to spend time with these people, invest in them, figure out where they want to go. And, and by God, how do I get them there? And I think that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. I think that's absolutely so beautifully put. And I think too, some of the things that came out in your interview that we're going to talk about today is that you were very well studied in what we're going to talk about today, which is inquiry-based design um, using essential question-based units. And that's why um, I was giving you such a hard time because your professors at school and the work that Mm -hmm. you did was very much in line with what my boss was trying to bring into our department at the time. So even I was very new to this philosophy and this style of teaching. Um, I'll be, I was thrown threatened by it, right? Like this is, this was all like a new, not by you, by the philosophies. (laughs) I was hoping you meant by me. The, you know, the idea that we're going to drive our inquiry, you know, drive our instruction through inquiry was absolutely like out of left field for me. You know, I was raised in the study guide questions and like project-based learning. Oh my, yeah. Sort of. I mean, that's, I mean, I never fully like, I never thought like this is it, you know, I was always trying to do something new, but in terms mm-hmm. of like a, a teaching philosophy and, and understanding inquiry, it was, it was foreign. And that's why I was like, who does this kid think he is? And, and right. I think what happened with you is you came in and you knew everything in your head, but the practice of doing it in real life is so hard. And I think that's what a lot of teachers who are, you know, taking our course curriculum rehab or are kind of just jumping on the podcast. It's one thing to hear us talk about it. And it's one thing to know in your head what you want this to look like, but I want you guys to know and like, listen to Kyle, like the, the experience of living it is totally different than the, the conceptual right world that's happening right. in your head. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's all I've ever known. That's the thing I tell people too. They're always like, well, you know, inquiry. It's like, well, that's all I know. That's, it's not like credit to me. I went to a school with Dr. McCann who that was his thing. And I walked into this world thinking everybody did that only to find out like, and at that time we were all worried about common core. You know, that was the, that was the big thing. So yeah. Yeah. You missed the Illinois state standards. Those were were real juicy ones. Okay. So let's jump into it then. Uh, Tell us how you define inquiry-based curriculum design and, and how does that look, you know, from a macro micro standpoint in your classroom? Okay. So the way I like to describe inquiry-based design is it's essentially the idea of the student whenever possible is in the driver's seat of the curriculum. So you have set up all of these checkpoints that we need to reach. The timeframes are somewhat planned out, but, but a little flexible. And as often as possible, they are going to determine when we move on to the next thing or the depths to which we're going to go with that. And that sounds insane, but. <laughs> there, we're we're in it. Everyone's here is in it. Like, okay. you're good. You're good. So, and then as far as what does that look like from a macro perspective is my my philosophy or like the way I do it is I always am thinking about this zone. I know they talk about the zone of proximal development, but I also think of this zone of, of uncertainty that I always want to keep my students in. And so I'm always thinking of what is the essential question in the sense of not something I point to in my room and it's like a buzz phrase, but more of like, this is the general direction we're heading conceptually and we still don't know and we still don't know and you're grappling with the uncertainty. And each week we are trying to shed another angle to take it with that makes it confusing. So I want, metaphorically, it's like I want my kids to think that they're building a house and then every week it's like, oh, but you need to also add this room on. And it's like, well, but they don't stop building. Yes, and you have the same budget. Right. Same budget. Like Property Brothers. It's, yeah. It's actually a lot like Property Brothers. It's kind <laughs> of like, oh, hey, here's this living room. Oh, this isn't up to code. So, but you're already in it. So you yeah. can't leave now. But the metaphor is really beautiful because it's about, it's about the building and the creation. Like that, that to me was always something that I wanted kids to do, but I was taking on so much of that work. I was designing these massive projects and telling kids what all the steps were, thinking I was doing something innovative and maybe it was innovative, but it wasn't 
creating those moments of uncertainty where kids have to solve problems and ask questions. And I think that's what you're getting at. Uh, and that's huge. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think the, the biggest pushback you get is inquiry takes time. Yes, it does. That's, that's the tough part is. So when, when I say, well, the kids are in the driver's seat, there are a lot of lessons we as teachers, we get this pressure and we feel the walls closing in and we're like, I'm just going to tell them, well, eh, we, you got to back up now because they have to figure it out. That's the problem is I, I don't know how many scaffolds you have to put in. I don't know how many activities. I don't know what you're going to have to do, but yeah. like they have to have that aha moment before we move on. They do. That's, that's the tough part. I think that segues beautifully into my next question. You know, we talk a lot in our teacher community right now, especially, and I think we've always been having this conversation, but there's a very important spotlight being drawn on it. You know, we're talking a lot about equity, you know, these days and um, understanding the differences between equality and equity. And um, I'm wondering what you think in terms of equity, how does having a mindset of an inquiry-based curriculum how does that address these issues of equity that we're facing with our kids? Because I feel like a lot of teachers, especially in English, feel like we solve that problem through novels, period. Like we, we readdress the novels in our curriculum and call it a day. I think it's a little bit bigger than that. Um, do you see equity and, you know, essential question-based teaching? Do you see those things as friends? I do. And I think that if, if the weakness, if you want to call it that, of inquiry is the time it takes, the strength is the equity it provides to students. So that would be my, my sales pitch for why it is worth something to pursue. Um, because when you think about it, when you English has that subjectivity, which I can talk about in a little bit. I also kind of hate the, the stereotype of, I even see kids writing like, well, English isn't like math, right? You just have to have some kind of answer. It's like, that's not true, but that's for another day. <laughs> But with the subjectivity of English presents the opportunity to say, I have an engaging, authentic, real question that I want you to try to answer that will add meaning to your life. If it's that important, everyone should have an answer to it. But the depth to which everyone answers, it's going to be completely different. It's almost like, and this is way too outdated, but when we were introduced to inquiry, it was about the, the unit of identity. If everyone has, a diff, everyone has a different identity and everyone understands their identity to a different depth, mm-hmm. but it is important to know who you are. And so in that way, we are providing equity, but what we're not doing is we're not playing to the lowest common denominator. And that is so tempting in education, right? Absolutely. And I think what, you know, the, the, so to top onto that, like what we're talking about with text, when you introduce text into this model, all of a sudden it doesn't matter how much of the core novel a student has read, as long as they're developing an understanding of this essential question. And, you know, maybe the two poems that they read during that unit hit them harder than the four chapters that they read or the podcast they listened to or whatever that might be. Inquiry gives opportunity for kids to be hit at different times throughout the unit, which is really cool to see. Right. And it's, it is one of those things. It's kind of like a game of Minesweeper we're playing right now. People are very emotionally invested in the books they choose to teach. Yes. And I respect that. I obviously am emotionally connected to what I teach as well. But sometimes we get into a dangerous zone where we're, we're making a choice between our students and our, and our curriculum. And that, that can't happen. So when you're talking about, well, how much of the book do they need to read? They need enough to answer the question because if the question's important enough, they're going to need to answer it and want to answer it, right? Just like the identity example. What kid do you want to leave your room and not have an understanding of who they are, yeah. right? That, that, they need that. But at the same time, we're not holding anyone back. Yes, the student that did everything is going to have a well-thought-out, flushed answer yeah. that has depth and diversity and it has multiple perspectives that's influencing it. But that's not, you're not able, there's no world where we force everyone to answer like that. That's just not a reality. But what we are doing is we're covering all the bases. We're covering them and we're also not punishing kids. And I think that that has always been something, you know, Marie and I talk about a lot is sometimes we look at 
student behavior and homework and those two things, the, the line getting very blurred, especially when we don't know our kids or if they're virtual, you're only seeing them a handful of times in a hybrid model. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us have come up with this idea that if you don't read that you should be punished and maybe we don't use that word in our head, um, but that comes out a lot in the way that we grade. Um, Absolutely. And I think I think what what we're getting at here, guys, is that, you know, resetting the frame of a unit with an essential question and with the goal of being able to answer that question in a more sophisticated way at the end than at the beginning, that is measurable and important progress to acknowledge, regardless of what happened during the unit. Um, and, And not to say it should be what letter grade or what number grade that should be, but that that's something worth allowing students the space to, to find out. So, okay, so we're on it. Like, tell me now some of your favorite essential questions that you've ever worked with, because this is the number one question we get all the time are, I need help with essential questions. So what are some of your favorites? If you need to give more about the unit, we can hear that too, of course. Um, yeah, I just want really quick before we go into this, you were talking about the punitive side. I was, yes, this. punishing. And yeah. I was thinking... I just had a conversation with a colleague like two days ago and it was something to the extent of like, Oh, blank classes curriculum or no, it wasn't that it was blank class doesn't do anything. And I just had a moment where I thought, but you know what? There is a curriculum out there. There's something out there that is going to hook them and they would want to do it. There's something we could do that we couldn't stop them from participating because they do, they care about something right? We just got to figure out what that is. And I think that when we talk about my favorite essential questions, they're the ones that they don't have these big voluptuous vocab words hidden throughout. They're the ones that you say it and you just see the hooks in all the kids. Yeah. You know, they're just like, oh, and a lot of times it's the, it's the short one. So off the top of my head, I've been teaching it for too long now, but to what extent is America a dystopia? That's our, that's is always, yep. I love that question. It's not, it's, again, it's not fanciful. It's not trying to throw you off. It's, it's just something you're going to grapple with. It's been seven years of teaching dystopia. I do not know the answer. And that's, that's what I love about it. And it changes every year. And then it right? was 2020 and you're like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yes, it is. Right. <laughs> the joke was every year I go, well, this, this, and this hadn't come true yet. And now it has. But so that's, that's a question I love. And I love I love giving it to them before, during, and after the unit. I love that, comparing their growth with that. When I teach of mice and men with my freshmen, I love the question of, is the American dream dead? I think that that's pivotal to understand as an American, uh, but also as a person in that stage of life, really starting a track and setting a goal for what they want to be to be like, well, hold on. Like, what are your dreams? And are they even attainable before oh we my get gosh. started? And I think some kids who've gotten burnt out on the American dream to phrase it like, is it dead? Is like, it's such a, it's, that's such kid language. And I think kids are going to be really invested in that question because I think a lot of them want to argue about. Yeah. Is it and dead? arguability. I just yeah. made up that word, but like making sure if you get a guttural reaction, you're, you're on the right track. Yes. Right. And it's, I want them to have a visceral polarizing reaction on day one so I can spend 15 days making it gray and just murking the waters and trying to say, I don't know. What about this? What about this? What about this? And it, it subliminally adds purpose to every enrichment activity. We're doing this so that we can shed light and so that we can better prepare to really answer this question. Um, Another question, this isn't a unit question, but a year long question is what our juniors are doing. So I like this question because you're a junior in high school, right? It's the, it's the catalyst year. And the question is, to what extent has society already made your decisions for you? I love that question. All of these questions have a really dark lean to them. Do you yes, know? it's English. We're not here to build well, you up. And it's teenagers. And teenagers are, are into that. Like they, they get it because their, their lives are miserable, right? Like that's... <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. For sure. But I just, yeah, I love, I love that question when I think about the texts available because you read like Catcher in the Rye, you read Into the Wild or you read Huckleberry Finn. And it's like, I love that idea of 
maybe we are being pessimistic or maybe you just need to stand up for yourself and be like, I, yeah. uh, excuse me, Prove I'm an American. Yeah. yeah and I, I can do what I want. It's like, good. Now you actually have a principle and aren't reciting something. Yes. So those are the, the ones off the top of my head that I love. And I think all three of those really, really beg kids to find a very precise, arguable claim as that answer. I think they all are teeing up, up that opportunity to teach claim writing and like coming up with your own defensible idea. It's, and I love that you can, can do that with different levels of difficulty, freshman, sophomore, junior year. The questions are that juicy that you can really push kids to get in and not just say yes or no, that those are, those are not correct answers because all of yours right. have had the, to what extent uh, STEM. And that's one of my favorite STEMs that I think I used to tease our boss about back in the day. Like, to what oh, extent yeah. do I love dry erase markers? Like <laughs> Mostly, totally, somewhat. I feel like it depends on the brand. Uh, and I hate myself for it too. But then the day that you have authentic answers from students placing their flag on where they stand and defending it. You're like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Do I hate myself when I start the next unit with a, to what extent? Absolutely. <laughs> but it gets results people. It, and that's exactly what it was for me. Like I was, I was not a believer until I gave in after being bludgeoned to death and kids responded. It was the most genuine, authentic, experience I've had in the classroom. And, and, and that, right. that was it for me. That was it. I was, I was ready. I was fully, I was in. Um, and we, and both, I almost wonder to an extent, uh, I hate uh, myself already. I almost I'm not, wonder. I'm not going to edit that out. Sorry. Oh, please. I'll give you any <laughs> amount of money, except I don't no. have any money. Um, I wonder if that's because in a world where like, I hate to say it, but inquiry is kind of a dying breed. It's not something you see all the time, but it's, it's for the first time it's, I'm not going to tell you something. I'm going to ask you something. You're yeah. starting a unit by saying, what do you think? Put some skin in the game. Yeah. Own your education a little bit here. Yeah. And class isn't going to move unless you answer. And I think, that's, I think that subconsciously says, like, you make the train go. This is all here for you. And uh, I just got stuff over here to kind of put in front of you. And when you, can, and when you can find enough people to believe in this, like that an entire department is, is in on this experience. I mean, that's a game changer for kids because they're getting it all the way up. It's not just one shining moment in their career. I mean, it's the whole thing. And I think that that's so powerful. Okay. So, um, what do you think? We kind of already addressed this, but what are some of those components that make an essential question? Great. Like we talked a little bit about, like, you can see the reaction from the kids. So like maybe even workshopping an, an EQ before you start it or after a unit, you know, asking kids is a good way to go. Um, how, how do you know what that question is just right? Um, I love the way <laughs> that you stretch that out. Um, I, I think the first thing to definitely admit is, the clearest example is, you know, when you wrapped up and you're like, that's not it, right? When basically when a student said, when one student says an answer and everybody's like, yeah, I agree with that. Like, okay, well, that question needs to be reworded because kids will find that where the pressure is the least and that's the path they're going to take. So when you can stay in the moment of uncertainty until the unit's done, when you're wrapping up the summative and your class is divided or everyone's taking a stand on where they are, you're, you're much more on track, but there are other things to check for too. And I think the more important thing conceptually is you need empathy, right? We talked about the junior question. We talked about the of mice and men question with freshmen is the EQ you're asking is the answer you're, you're pre-populating in your brain. Is it something that, that goes along with what they're going through in their lives, right? So a junior EQ asking about how much of society has made decisions for you right before they're applying for college, right before they're getting their first job. This is a relevant question, right? Like the work has to be done outside of these walls when they leave, that they're seeing things that are reminding them what you've asked them. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's huge. It has to have relevancy to the stage they're at in their life. That's kind of where I usually, when we talk about the like, course level question that goes like for the whole year we focus on that a lot well you have um, to. if you want buy-in yeah. you have to right then there's like the unit questions and i would say you know 
if you're backwards planning and you know what you want them to Which do. you better be, everyone. Always. Always. Unless you just want every unit to take three more weeks than you say and to be stressed the entire time. You better backwards plan. Um, but you know, so you know your summative. And sometimes you just walk into a team and they're like, listen, we've taught this for this many years. This is like we're going to do theme and it's going to be on this. Okay. Well, then make a question yeah. that is preparing them the entire time for this summative because the mistake most people make when they're trying to do an inquiry-based unit, they're trying to do it in the moment going forward, expecting this question to transform and modify and adapt to everything you're doing. And what's going to happen is if you didn't plan ahead for the end result, if that question wasn't in mind when you got to the end of the unit, you're going to become bitter towards it because it's going to become irrelevant at some point. And then you're like, why did I even do it? So for example, like there's a unit we teach where we know the end product we're trying to walk out of is an extended definition essay. And that extended definition is on the idea of redemption. Mm -hmm. Well, my EQ is going to be about redemption. It gives me a reason to focus on every passage about it, to have outside sources on it, but it's also really preparing them for that final product. Um, That way the question is the frame the product they do at the end is their best guess at how to answer that. Yeah. That's so would you, okay. So just, would you say then in terms of assessment, does that summative have to address the essential question or can you still do like, if let's say, right, you work at a school where the summatives are kind of prescripted um, or maybe they're very highly skill-based. First of all, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, I, I have some things to say about that in a moment, but like, can, can I still, throw in a casual Socratic seminar or a casual, um, even like a letter of some sort, can I have some kind of informal assessment on the EQ or does the EQ always demand like a summative big grade? I mean, how do you feel about that? Just, I know this is kind of off the cuff, but how do you feel? No, about it's that? fine. I think it's, it's kind of like, well, it's better than not having a question that yeah. they answer for sure. If, if we're talking about a, sp- a prescriptive curriculum, if you can fit a question that adds relevancy to whatever you're doing, I think you should do it. Yes. I just think that when the way my brain is wired, I've been in this for so long that it's every EQ I have is directly tied into that summative that they're going to do. Like the, to what extent is America a dystopia? You know this better than anyone that leads to a synthesis essay. I know. And I wrote you, it. I know. And you get to a point where you're like, you almost can't untangle the two. You're like, wait, are we, is that the question because we're doing synthesis or are we doing synthesis because that's the question? And if your answer is just, uh, yep. Like that's a, that's a good spot to be in. Uh, they balance each other out, but I, I, that's a tough one. I think, yeah, you should probably throw in a scrag seminar and ask questions because I've definitely done that if you feel like there's something in this book, like, yeah, but this is the thing. And I really want to get your opinion on that, that mode, that mentality of hold on. I want to pause and know what you think is not a bad instinct to go with. So I'm going to risk some dignity here and try to use a sports metaphor. Um, Yes, let's do this. Okay. So I know there are a lot of teachers out there who are kind of in their rebuild year. If I could, am I using that right? Like that. So is it like a team where you're not? Oh, like when you, yeah, yeah, okay. But you're getting like, yeah, okay, sort of. Yeah, like next year's our year that we're actually going to try for the playoffs. It's like what the Bears say every year. This is our rebuild year. Oh, okay. Let's simmer because they're undefeated at the time of this I don't even know enough about football to even, okay, so here we go. So I know there are a lot of teachers who are kind of in, and I remember being there kind of when we were working together too, when you haven't hit that perfect Like you don't know what the perfect summative is yet. You're still kind of working it out. So I'm in a situation right now where I, and this is different from where I worked with you. I'm in a two high school district at this point. And so um, one of the things that we worked on over summer curriculum hours was making the decision that we should not be perfectly aligned with one another with every single essential question, every single text and every single everything. And so the way that we were able to still line up is we actually built skills-based assessments that are in common. So we have, let's say for our first unit, we're doing a thousand splendid sons. So the exam I'm giving next week is a cold read 
where the kids annotate a passage they've never seen before. And they do a like very short literary analysis. Like it's supposed to be an exam. So in a single class period, annotation, write a paragraph, like do literary analysis as a task. So that has been compartmentalized as the common assessment but then what I've built outside of that is the following week, something more project-based, Socratic seminar, like that's going to change with, with the units, but, and that's where I'm addressing the essential questions. So I've actually separated those things for kids. And I'm really curious this year to see what that does to grades. Um, because I'm, I've never really been good at assessing skill separately from EQs and things like that. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, what do you, I didn't even talk to you about this. What do you think about that? I think, I mean, the reality is I'm very fortunate to be in a single unit district and have that autonomy. I do want to put a side note that I think that we're in a time, the trend in the profession is we're really devaluing autonomy and that needs to, I understand the organization, but the idea that we have to correct the discrepancies from teacher to teacher, it's a fool's errand. Teachers, it's an art and teachers are different. We need to encourage them to get better at their art. And we just need to accept the fact that it's not, it's not, a, it's not a numbers game. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's an art. That being said, I think, I think you're going to be fine. I guess I'm just talking about pie in the sky, right? We're not, I don't want to think about grades ever, even though I know I have to do it. When I'm talking curriculum design, I'm, I'm almost, it's almost like a movie in my head. And so it's like, I don't ever want the user to be taken out of the experience. Yeah. So you're in this unit and then you're like, and here's a common assessment. And they're like, wait, what? But that's also like the reality of what we do. And I don't think it's going to break anything. I think it's totally fine. And, and I, I would just say that to everyone, you know, who's listening, because I think we're all in just such different situations. And like, that was the bandaid that I put on mine for this year because I didn't want to negotiate right. some of the other pieces. Like I wanted to have the independence to do a thousand splendid sons and not have to do what the other school was doing at the same time with the same, I just didn't yeah. want to have to do that. And, and you so, could have listeners that have weekly assignments prescribed oh, yeah. to them that they have to do in common. And if that's the case, that's not on you. Like we're not telling you to, to throw it out and rebel, but I do think like what you're doing where it's like, you know, you're looking macro at this and saying, where can I put some inquiry in here? I, I think that's plan. it. And, and it's still, it's the frame. It's, it's like where we start. It's what drives all the passages that we look at. It is every, so our, our question right now with, with sons is um, why do relationships matter? And, oh, I love that. Oh man. But geez, like they, the relationships in the story are so, painful but also so redemptive like they're really powerful and as much as i would love for the the final product to be more reflective of that i am excited that it's still i think is getting it's getting at that anyway because yeah. it's still driving the core pieces of what we're doing together and i think that thinking about essential questions as a frame is really powerful no matter how often or um, with what level of intensity you attach the assessment piece to it, that's really up to you. I mean, I, I think, you know, you could look at, you know, Wiggins and all these guys who write books and, and everything, and they're going to give you their opinion. But I mean, you can do hardcore all the way through, but I think you could also do essential question units where you seminar at the beginning, you seminar at the end, and you kind of see yeah. where, you, you know, I feel like that's kind of where we started. And if your team is jiving and you're grooving and you're getting better, I'm really sorry. I just said grooving, but yeah, you know, that was embarrassing. <laughs> I think it gets better year after year if you're committed to it. So, all right. I agree. Ready? I'm going to throw something at you. Oh, this no. going to be okay. our, last, our last section. So I want to see you guys listen to an episode. If you haven't already, I will uh, link it in the show notes for you. Uh, Marie and I crafted a essential question basically out of thin air for her uh, first unit uh, during this semester, actually. And... Uh, it was really, really well received. You guys liked hearing us grapple with how to get to the right question. So here's what I'm going to throw at you. And I know that you probably have some experience with this book and maybe, I don't know, a little bit of background, but I'm going to tell you this. Welcome to my team. I don't know what grade level this is. Let's, let's call it sophomores for oh, fun. Okay. Okay. So this is a sophomore level uh, assignment. Uh, I want my kids to do a lit circle project. So multiple titles, 
Okay. And I really want there to be a rhetorical analysis focus. So skill-wise, we're looking at rhetoric. Text-wise, I'd like some choice. And age level, let's say regular sophomores. Okay. Where where Uh, does your head go? Talk us through, like, where do you go? How do you get started with that information? So my first, if you're saying rhetoric, the easy path is persuasion. Yeah. I'm thinking about texts that are going to have people manipulating other people. I'm thinking about real world examples with a grounded example. My initial gut reaction is, is objective truth a reality? Or (laughs) what is That's your gut reaction. (laughs) That's just what popped in my head. I'm thinking about the idea, the concept. Maybe that's too shooting over the mark for regular sophomores, but that's where I start is what is objective truth or credibility? Like those are the concepts I want to build this around of who's full of crap, who's lying to me. Wait a minute. If essentially everything someone says has a motivation, why do I trust anyone? And I'm thinking that's something to grapple with. And I'm already like, I'm already fizzing here where it's like, think of how many things you can include. You have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the current debate. Everybody is trying to use you to the point where I'd almost do a gateway where they realize what is their currency breaking that mold. You have a value because if you didn't, why would Facebook be shooting ads at you? Why would Google be taking all your information? So recognize your currency and then figure out who's trying to extort that from you. And then I would figure out some kind of anchor text that's highly manipulative. My go-to is Othello because if I'm trying to get sophomores engaged, uh, deal with relationships, deal with lies. Everybody has a friend that was secretly crushing on the girl you were pursuing. And so is trying, like, that's relatable. So I would, that would be my pie in the sky text to go for. Maybe you could do Animal Farm if that's a little too high because you have this more equal than others, maybe in the current political climate. If it was a fall unit, I would probably go Animal Farm, maybe start talking with that. And then trying to think of a short story that uses rhetoric. I'm blanking on that, but I would try to find a short story or something that plays with perception. And I think if you could do the vocab of like, maybe get paradigm, like authentically understood that people understand viewpoints and and how those are constructed. Maybe that would be interesting. Maybe we don't do a short story. Maybe we just do like current event articles, take the same issue from two polar sides. I don't know. I'm rambling now, but that's, nope, that's where nope. I, I am. I, everyone who's listening right now has probably pulled over if you're in your car <laughs> and you're taking notes because like, I'm taking notes and I'm like, Oh, I want to. It's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, and so what, what Kyle's pulling out that I want to just emphasize one, one more time, cause I don't know if we say it out loud enough, but he's latching onto concepts. This is yeah. new. This is new to English teacher brains, right? To to think about what are the conceptual ideas that I want to teach. We're so used to teaching the plot, skills. right? Or yeah, skills. So my brain, my brain is the most interesting thing to me as a human is what is the idea of truth or credibility. Then I think, oh, these are fun things I like to do with it. And then I think, okay, so there's a research unit in there. There's an evaluation element to evaluating sources. There's evidence integration. There's intro and uh, counter-argument paragraphs. That's just tertiary to me is the thing. I want want the concept, then the text, then the skills. I love it. And and so some of the things you pulled out were things like credibility, perception, paradigms, extortion came out in your rambles, which was kind of brilliant. To what extent (laughs) am I being extorted? Um, always from all people and all angles. Uh, yeah. And you could do compare and contrast. Do you feel like society today is being extorted more than, than before? Is there anyone worth trusting? Why trust right. anyone? Um, I mean, yeah, it's a gold, it's a gold mine. And this, and this is the beauty of inquiry design, right? Cause now we have juicy stuff to sink our teeth into and access points for all kids at multiple points throughout the unit, not just hooking them at the beginning and hoping that they're interested and then just pushing on through for four more weeks. And, and it's important too, to make a note of like, 
that is a ramble. And then I'm not going to get to all that. Right. There's no way. No. And that's the beauty of inquiry too, where people will tell me, uh, I had somebody the other day coming in and we were, we were workshopping a unit like this and you know, we had all those ideas and they're like stressed. Well, I can't like, how am I going to do an in-depth job with all of that? And I go, Oh, you're not, you got to pick, right? You have to pick what you're going to do. And then they said, well, what do I do? But I want to do the credibility piece. I think that's so great. Okay. Later, if it ever comes up again, remember this, and then you will have not only a time to talk about credibility, but they already have pre-existing knowledge. You can bring that unit back for a day or two. Yep. And not have to do the whole dog and pony show. You could just be like, remember this? Now we're going to look at this with the lens of credibility. As we go into something else, we're going to do with credibility. And that's, that's what it's for. And that's fun. That makes teaching fun because you're getting those results from your kids that we're trying so hard to pull out of them otherwise. Right. By setting it up for them this way. It, it's amazing. Kyle, it was so awesome to talk to you today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy social life. I know you (laughs) like, sorry, I forgot people were listening. So rude. Oh yeah. Uh, Kyle, if people want to get a hold of you and workshop questions with you and talk to you, where can they find you on the interwebs? Or do you want no one to ever talk to you and want me to hide your identity? Well, I don't know if anyone wants to talk to me. I, I bet they will. Well, if they want to get a hold of me, I will send you something, some kind of email. Because currently, I have a challenge with my students when I teach the dystopia unit that we all are blackout social media. So currently, I don't have any way to get in contact with me. But once that's over, I will send you an email uh, that they can reach me at. All right, you're going to get on Instagram eventually. I mean, I've been telling you this for seven years. but Listen, we're literally talking about extortion and Instagram is extort. If we get enough people... I will get an Instagram account. How you about know, that? I'll just give everyone your fax number and then they can just <laughs> carry your pigeon or something if they want. I actually do. I've received okay. carrier pigeon okay. if they want to send well, that. If people want to get a hold of you, they can get a hold of me and I will, yes. you know, it's fine. I have nothing else to do. So think of it as if they have, they're adding fuel and then you'll just get angry and force me to get an Instagram. <laughs> Just something. The rest of the world needs to hear these thoughts. You really have Nobody a lot. Nobody wants to, to hear these thoughts. <laughs> Kyle, thank you seriously so much for sharing this. I mean, I know it, Marie and I preach this stuff all the time. So to have it, you know, coming from another place and someone else who's experiencing it in real life, it's so awesome. So thank you once again for coming on. Loved it. Had a ton of fun. Thank you so much. All right, Kyle. Talk to you soon. 